Listeners are advised, this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker. Ring, 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 ring. Hello. Hi, hi. Hey. And welcome to this. Wongi. Well, apparently yeah. I now have to call uh, Boy Bandipity. Is that your official yeah. name? Have you done the deep well, roll we, in it? We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> uh, welcome to this special episode of... Yeah, and out of the I'm blue. Boy Band. And out yeah. of the blue because we posted our World Apart episode, our We've Come Out of Lockdown episode, and yeah. told, we told you all, uh, it'll be another month, give us a break, it's just hard <laughs> going, uh, we just need some time to, to do our own shit. And yeah. then... I posted the picture on Instagram yeah, of, of you me. with the original Worlds Apart lineup. Yeah, when I was seventeen, so twenty-eight year old photo, and mm-hmm. we had a little DM in our Insta messages from from Aaron Paul, who was the one at the front, who I said was my favourite. Yeah, so original yeah. member, a mem- from the original Worlds Apart lineup, he was the. In case anyone doesn't recall our fascinating episode already. Um, he was the original front man. He was the last member to join that original five. He was brought in because they needed a singer and Aaron had the voice. He, he was did. the one that could sing. So he was brought into that. It was spotted by um, Gary Wilson and Simon Cow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so. so, yeah, so we arranged a call and um, we we got on that this week. So Aaron Paul is a singer, songwriter, model, fashionista, Aren't and we as we know, former boy band member, uh, currently residing in New York City. Uh, Aaron's latest single, Dance America Rise Up, was recorded during his quarantine, during lockdown. Um, and he's joining us along with his co-contributor, Montgomery Frazier, who is the former on-air fashion director at MTV and the image guru himself. So we're going to join the chat kind of while we're mid-flow because we were we got too excited and ended up <laughs> jumping straight into we, a conversation. <laughs> we may have been, A, a little bit squealy, and B, there may have been a lot of coronavirus chat before we kicked off. Yeah, exactly. And also so we've, Wi-Fi connection chat that you're, no one's yeah. interested in apart from the four of us <laughs> that were on the call. So, so we, we cut all of that off, and I think you'll join us where we're talking about how we did the Brother Beyond episode. And yeah, so enjoy our last episode was brother beyond so we did okay. we did a brother oh, beyond funny. episode and then we went from brother beyond into um worlds apart because it kind of links oh. it's the end of his story yeah, he's, 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 yeah, yeah so no but it's been fun well it's... now you've got an original member of worlds <laughs> right <Yeah>. dude seriously <laughs> when I, so i did that i was a fan back in the day no disrespect, <laughs> even, no disrespect as you can tell like from the picture i mean i had that picture but i was 17 in that picture you must have been around 18. do you know, I rem- do you know what i remember that day I remember. oh really you're a tiny little thing. Not a tiny little tiny. No, she is. She's not short a tiny little thing. Okay, I'm tiny. I'm tiny height-wise. I'm not tiny width-wise. Where was that? Was that like in HMV or something? No, it was... I worked for... My first job out of school was for a photography agency. I work in photography. I, um, I now work in photojournalism. Um, but I okay. worked for um, a photography agency called Rex Features. And we had you in to do a photo shoot right up in the attic. So that right at the top of the building, there was a photo studio. So we had you in... I I'd, I'd ask um, if we could set it up. I was oh, kind wow. of like, Can we get Worlds Apart in the office? Because I was like, this is great. 
going to come <laughs> to my office and I get to... It's so funny because I saw the picture when you posted it before, you know, before mm. I said hello to you guys. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've never seen this picture before. <laughs> but I kind of, it looked familiar, but I don't remember ever seeing that photograph. And I thought, well, how does someone get hold of this? You know? Yeah. It's always interesting when, when you never, like, imagine taking a million photos yeah. oh, God, you yeah. don't get to see half of them, you know? And then, you know, gosh, what, 30 years later, 25 years? Um, you know, you see a photo, wow, I, I kind of remember that day, but like, when did that happen? And where was this, yeah. you know? You've just aged us but... properly then by putting a time <laughs> <left> on it. <laughs> well, talk about it. Look at me. I mean, I'm still in this game, still doing, you know, still doing it at this age. Yeah. Like, incredible, really. Well, we, you know? we are too. We're still, you know, going to gigs. Well, we will be when they're open again. And yeah. we're still big fans of boy bands in general, but I'm a... Uh, are there any? Are there any these days? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I live under a stone and I don't know what's going well, on. Well, I'm an OG Take That fan and Zoe's New Kids. Okay. So we're, they're still touring every, almost okay. every year. So yeah, we're still, but we, oh, we get to as many boy band shows as we can. Yeah. So. We had right. a lot pla We had well, a lot scheduled in for this year that all got, you know. Yeah. 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 Tell me about it. I mean, every, everything's kaput, yeah. obviously. Mm. You know, um, and we waited, we waited. Um, with this with this particular record, you know, Dance America Rise Up, we actually shot the video last August mm. in, in Washington, D.C. And then, you know, the project was you know, sit, basically sitting as files in, in my computer. And when COVID, um, you know, the epi epidemic kicked in and everything, and everything shut down, I said, you know what, let me just pull out that project and see what I can do with it, you know, and, you know, develop it from there. So that's what I've been doing under my quarantine. Yeah literally learning a new skill how to edit videos oh, basically. which is always you know, going to come in handy yeah do you know what it is because i'm, I'm always about a, a, you know making my vehicle strong and, and and being as independent as possible you don't have to pay anybody you don't mm. rely on anybody who doesn't quite get what you want yeah. you know what i'm saying so you know and I'm, I'm pretty much good that way of like really zoning in on my vehicle to you know and and doing it myself and i never would have imagined actually sitting down on the computer video editing and I'm actually loving it. I'm actually like, wish I did it, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Fun. I do and, quite a bit. Yeah, and, and now I'm really well, sore yeah. I'm learning all the tricks now, you know, all the effects and all that stuff. And I'm like, like, and it just keeps getting better and better. And the fact that other people are like it is even as a bonus, because like, I never expected anyone, you know, to really, yeah, I didn't think I'd be doing that. You know what, mm. what I'm saying? It's good. If, so, it's, but, if that's your uh, first- So COVID has that's your it's been good to me, you know, no disrespect. Go on, Go if that's your it. first editing project, it's it's pretty it damn good, seriously. It really is. Like the iconography you're using in there is really outstanding. Well, between you know my computer and some of the, um, the editing programs and you know apps. I mean, there's thousands of apps that can let you. You know, the, the sky's the limit. What you can do, you can create virtual worlds literally, and, and insert your your image, and you could do all kinds of things. I mean, you can literally jump to the moon and back. Yeah. You know, it's amazing what you can do. And I wish I knew even five years ago that, that these. This was an option, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Um, and like I said, um, the, the next one's going to be even better. The next one's even better. Yeah. And I actually really enjoy it. And I wasn't a musician or, or a, you know, or an artist. I probably would be video editing because I love it. Yeah, you know? Can we? The end result is always amazing. Like, wow, I created that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's like your own baby. Can we? Um, if you know, if it's all right, can we take you back? to the start of your yeah, boy ahead. band roots. So, right back. Um, so with World Depart, when Gary yeah. Wilson was putting that lineup together, you were kind of the mm -hmm. final piece of the puzzle um, coming right. in as a front man. Um, what yeah. was that experience of him finding you and where did they find you and how did that come well, around? This is what happened. They were formed like 
you know, with, with Patrick, Dan, Steve, and um, Shalim, they were sitting around waiting in the wings for like two years. They had already been, been picked. Um, and I think apparently what, what I was told that when it came to recording, you know, they were, no one was, was, could be, was, was strong enough maybe to be a lead singer. Um, I was already, you know, in the UK, you know, doing my little gigs up and down the country, talent shows, blah, 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 trying to get discovered. You know, I was doing my thing. Um, I, and I, this, there was a club in London called Singers. It was two clubs, Singers and Voices. And I was a regular performer there. And I, at that time, I was doing more of like a Bobby Brown kind of project, okay. you know, R and B, because that was yeah. you know, that was my go. OG, I was Bobby Brown, OG boy band. It's like everything comes from new edition, right? No, 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 no. New kids no. on the block. No, new edition. Oh, new edition were first. So, sorry to interrupt your story, Aaron. So, new edition, um, their um, impresario. The first was new kids on the block, then new edition. No, right? other way around. So, um, Maurice Starr, who was their manager, Maurice put Starr, together right. or, or found new edition first, and they went mahoosive. They just went absolutely massive. And right. after one single, they dropped Maurice because he wasn't. They weren't getting any money Pain. from it. Right. Um, right. And he was Same like, he was like, well, I can do this, but I'm going to do it with a white boy band, like brand, and right. it will mm -hmm. be more commercially successful. So then came new kids Boom, on the block. Yeah. Sorry, mm. I'm sorry oh. to interrupt you, Montgomery. <laughs> I've literally, I was no, doing no, no. the. They I was doing I was, research on Maurice at the weekend. That's how it's so fresh in my head. Uh, <laughs> I was working at MTV and they asked me to, to style new kids on the block. That's the only reason I thought they were one of the first ones, but oh, I didn't realize they, it was they definitely one of the first. It was like one or two years after new edition. They were definitely like one of the first boy bands as we know it. Now you're absolutely this, right. Because we had Wham in the UK yeah. and Ross, which were yeah. huge, yes. right? I don't, I don't know if, if you're familiar, yeah. um, Montgomery would be familiar with Wham, but I don't know if he knows who Cross are. Um, and they, were they boy bands? Well, I don't even think that new kids were classified as boy bands. That's another <clears throat> bit of research I've been doing, looking really? into the origin of the word boy band. And it came about from the Guardian newspaper, but not till like the, the, the very early 90s. So maybe around about your time when the word boy band started to get really? used. But new kids were never really referred to as a boy band. Although they would, it's that genre, you're all of the same. Genre, right, right. All of the same kind of thing. You're marketed at young girls. Because to me, I mean, technically, you know, George Michael with Wham. Yeah, we, yeah. we would call them a boy band. Yeah. Ambrose the same. Even yeah, though they Ambrose. played their own instruments, they right. wrote their own stuff, we'd still right. absolutely, because they're marketed at that teen. And then back, even back to um, Brother Beyond, I mean, they, they were instrumental bands. Right? Yeah, they, played, they, played, all their, right? they played all their own instruments, wrote all their own songs. Yeah. yeah. So it's very interesting what's defined as a boy band. And I, I mean, the technical, you know, when I think picture a boy band, I, I picture four or five guys jumping around on stage. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my thought. When they, when they approached me to be in this particular band, I was like, hell no. Yeah. No, that wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And, you know, at that time, you know, I was trying to do a, a Bobby Brown kind of you know, babyface L.A. Reid kind of thing. And, you know, my, my sights were set on America at that time. Um, so basically what happened, they knocked at my door and said, you know, we had this boy band, they're already signed to Arista Records, but they don't have a lead singer. Are you interested? The, the deal's already been signed, sealed and delivered, we're ready to go. It's either yes or no. So there I go, you know, looking at this, this contract was, 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 was a piece of shit. Um, you know, <laughs> as they always were back then. As they, all, as they always are. And my lawyer said, you know, Aaron, it's, it's a take it or leave it a deal. 
You can take this and you can go up, you can blow up huge and then you can disguise, you know, the world's your oyster, you're already in the door, people know who you are, you can go off and do your own thing afterwards. Or you could turn it down and never be discovered and, you, you know, commit <laughs> yes. your life. That was the, and that was literally the deal. And I literally had to come up, you know, I, went, I did the auditions. Um, I know Simon was really gunning for me. He loved, you know, he, he wanted me. Um, apparently the two producers at the time that, that was producing the Heaven Must Have Missing Angels, they just had a, had a hit with um, another kind of technical boy band. Um, what's his name? Ben from that other group? Do you know that one? Curiosity Killed the Cat. Cu Cu yeah. <laughs> were they a boy band? Yeah, I cl I'd class them as a boy band. Yeah. yeah, I would too, yeah. So they this, this produced production team just had a hit with Simon and, this, and Curiosity Killed the Cat. So they sent me into this big mansion, literally, I mean, and I got off the train thinking I was the only guy. There was like another thousand guys oh. training behind me down the road. And I'm thinking, oh my God, like I, I didn't know this was a big audition thing. Anyway, so I go into the studio and um, the guys played the track and they were so arrogant and rude. I mean, it was unbelievable. They just had this hit, so they thought they were up their own ass kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? And i am gone in there, little old me, kind of intimidated. I was only, what, 18 at the time as well. And I put the headphones and I started singing along. And these guys are literally sitting there with their legs up like this, like, yeah, what can you do kind of thing, you know? And Simon was sitting there, well, he's really good. I could see Simon be getting excited. These guys were like kind of on the fence. Anyway, three days later, we're, I'm basically sitting by the phone, waiting for the phone to ring to see if I've been picked or not from, from all these guys that showed up for the audition. So then I get the call, Simon calls me, said, I really, really want you. I think you're great and you're, gonna be, you're perfect for the lead singer but I got to convince these two producers. So basically for three days, my future was in the hand of these three, you know, idiots, these two guys that, you know, were on the fence about me. And I remember, you know, my mum kind of like, we were like praying like, like I got the gig, whatever. And then I finally got the call. Um, yes, you're, you're it. And I think, I think we waited another six months again. And I hadn't even met the band yet. Even though I was in it, I had not met the other members. Oh. Um, but I was in, but Patrick, because you know, he was so hungry to get it going and, and keep, you know, he's already been waiting two years, literally. Right. And Tate, that was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And we were kind of set to kind of, you know, compete against them. That was the whole deal, do you know what I'm saying? Which Simon had the concept for. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I remember the day we went, six months later, I was in the group and then I went to sign the contract and meet the other members. And I'm sitting in the office and the other members came in and their faces lit up when they saw me. And you know, so I've introduced myself and then they were like, but I remember the first comment that was said to me and I think Steve said it to me. He said, you're not gonna run away and leave us, are you? That was the first thing out of his mouth. And I mean, you know, what do you say to that? Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and I was trying to, you know, okay, it was a bit abrupt, but okay. And I said, well, I'm here to do, I've been picked to do my job. That's very simple, you know? And I don't know any of you and you guys don't know me, but let's get this shit moving and, and get the, what we can out of it. Right. And that was the, that was my first first time meeting them. And the next thing, you know, we were in, you know, dance rehearsal studios. I, do, you ever, do you ever come to the academy where we, we used to rehearse? No, I think I, the pineapple, I think pineapple studios a couple of times, but not, Okay. Very much. Well, we start. We used to. We started at Pineapple, and then we went over to the Academy Royal Academy of Dancing, which my mum was the administrator at the time. Right. So we got a huge, you know, good deal, you know, in terms of paying for the studio and stuff. But I know there was always a, a bunch of girls standing outside there, like religiously waiting for us mm. to come in and out and stuff. 
So then, then we went in, recorded the, I went in and recorded the Heaven Must Be Missing Angel song. And I remember there was this big party for it and Sunita was there. Remember Sunita? Yeah, yeah. She, was, she, was she still yeah. dating Simon at that time? Because that was their thing, no, wasn't it? So. No, that, I think that kind of dissolved, but they had a very, very strong relationship. You know, friendship-wise, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So she was always around. And she was a lovely, beautiful woman. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Still, still stunning now. Yeah. Stunning, stunning, stunning and just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And you know what, at the time, you know, anything that was kind of poppy and I didn't really care for, and, and I wasn't really a big fan of Sunita's music. I mean, Toy Boy, I mean, <laughs> come on now, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but classic. I remember being, <laughs> it's a classic pop song, but it wasn't really my thing, mm. you know? And I remember um, looking at her and thinking how stunningly beautiful she was. Actually stunned in person as well. And she was the nicest person. And she kind of kind of took me under her wing mm. and said, you know, Aaron, you know, I will teach you the ropes. Follow me and I will guide, you know. And we kind of, you know, developed a nice little bond and, and she kind of like took up, looked after me. Mm. Um, and I think she had a respect for me because the fact I could sing live and, and, and could dance. So that was kind of a mutual thing. Yeah. She comes from the whole kind of Broadway background and stuff. Um, they were, her and Simon were not together, no, but they, had, they were very, very close. And they, they still are today, as far mm. as I know. Um, but Simon was always a mystery, what, you know, what he did, especially in his personal life. Yeah. You never knew. You didn't know who he was dating, or it was never discussed. It was like, even though I was in Simon's office a lot of the time, and he, would, he was my best teacher, he basically said, you know, watch everything I do. Mm. So, and he, I still, so he boot camped you essentially, like most. He really players. did, and he, he, yeah, because he he allowed he, re, he definitely respected me as as a vocalist, mm. and he would. I remember him driving me, you know, up and down the M1, you know, to wherever the studio was at four in the morning, in his little um, Porsche. So <laughs> yeah, we'd be music, you know. music impresario, stroke chauffeur. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I mean, you're talking about in the middle of the night now. You're yeah. two, three a.m. in the morning. And it's just me and Simon that would go to the studio and I would bang out the vocals mm. and, you know, for the records. And then we'd drive back for the morning to, and I'd join the rest of the group. And so he, there was a, a, a mutual respect in that sense. Like he really zoned in on mm. you and said, you know, and watch what I do. Right. Watch and learn this business. You know, and to this day with my own vehicle in the day now that we can actually can control our vehicles, everything I do, even just marketing ideas, even to how a quality of a mix sounds, I learned from Simon. That's interesting. Simon That's really interesting. Yeah, and, and I remember, I mean, Simon was a, he is how he is, as you see him on TV. Yes, he's that. I see him make grown men cry on the spot. Mm. I have. I've never been in the war path of him. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. But I've seen, I've seen him, you know, he's, he's very much how you see him on TV. Obviously, he's a little bit more mm. animated to make TV. But he's definitely an individual who knows this business. He knows pop music. He knows how to market pop music. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's his lane. Yeah. And unfortunately, in the UK, he didn't get a lot of respect until the until American Idol blew yeah. up. I don't think he was, really he, he was outside of the industry. He was particularly well known because even I know he was, he, he was well he was known because he was he did pop. He had Sunita. Right. He all these these very novelty hits. Mm. I think yes, one time he, was, he signed. Yeah. The, the Care Bears, I think, one time he saw. Yeah, yeah you know, Mr. Blobby. <laughs> Mr. Blobby, right. So, yeah. he, so he, he would take these kind of very novelty kind of concepts and make hit records out of mm. it. In the music industry, that's not considered art. Mm. 
that's, you know, so he never got the respect. And a lot of the time, even with us, it was very challenging for him to, to get funding for certain projects. They, would, you know, they didn't care. The label didn't care. Mm. They wanted to, you know, at that time, it was the merge between, um, what's it called? Um, Oasis yeah. and Blur. The Oasis kind of Blur era. Yeah, and the, the, the head of the labels at the time, they, was, they took those kind of artists more seriously. Right. But I always remember them, the other um, label people saying, Erin, you're too good for this group. Mm. You can really see. Well, you, you also you know? were a songwriter as well, because you wrote yes, the group's exactly, second right. single, The Bingle, yeah. World, uh, which is yep. actually and that was a unusual for a boy band as well to have Exactly, you know what? I never forget the day. Me and Patrick went to the studio what, the Sunday afternoon, and I, I've always written my songs, mm. you know, from the moment I could, you know, I remember writing my first song with my mum, you know, so once I learned how to do that, that it's a very easy skill for me. And I, this, this the particular producer had the track, and I remember going to the studio, I, I invited Patrick to come along with me, mm -hmm. and we banged out, and I recorded the vocals literally in, a, in, a, in an hour, literally. The next morning, I get a call, it's Simon on the phone. Oh my God, oh my God, guys, I didn't know you could write. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, this is it. This, we've been struggling to decide what your next single's gonna be and this is gonna be. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously? I mean, to me, that was nothing. I mean, I, that, was, that was something I did just throughout there, you know, I didn't care. And next thing now, we've been rushed to, you know, emergency meetings, board meetings, and I've got the whole label sitting around the table, jumping up and down, oh my God, this is a hit. And me and Patrick are like looking at each other like, is this really happening? <laughs> really? Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it called it, it caused the divide. Because now the other members are now are not getting a piece of the pie. Even though they're the group, they didn't write the song. Yeah. So when you, as you know about publishing, when you write the song, you are the sole songwriter right. or whoever the team is and you split, it's split. So that caused a little problem now because the other guys are now seeing this attention is going to be that they've been kind of forced to be their next record because we don't, mm. we, we don't decide, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, lucky for me, yes, they picked my record. So therefore now I'm now being, I'm talking to publishers now, you know, and signing new, new deals, you know? Yeah. And doing things outside the unit of the boy band. Yeah. But the, you, we've got to remember these, and, and no disrespect, the, we were all picked kind of off the street. Mm. You know, I mean, and, and each of us have our own story, how we were discovered. I mean, I've been to performing arts school. I mean, I, I, I studied arts. I studied my, my craft and worked very hard throughout my teens. I performed in barns. I mean, dingy clubs, mm. you know. I remember being, being called a monkey on stage. You wow. know what I'm saying? You know, so I, I've been through the journey. I know this, what this business is about at that age, where some of the other members didn't know the business. You know, I think Dan was a model. Yeah. Um, Shaleen was picked up the street and, and Steve. Um, and so they didn't get the understanding and nature of the business where there is publishing, there is, you know, record label, you know, advances. There's, you know, there's all these different things that go with being part of a major label. Right. So they were very naive to that. So therefore now me and Patrick are now being, speaking to huge publishing companies and getting a ton of money. Mm. Yeah. Because, you know, songwriting is where your money's made. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's quite common as well for boy band members, especially because they're so young. They are quite naive and they trust the people who yeah. lead them down these paths. And it's not always the right path for them. But, but, but that's, then you've got my situation where I was forced to decide 
whether to take this deal or not. It was a take it or leave right. it deal. They said to me straight up, it's already been negotiated. We can't negotiate anymore. This is your opportunity to, to really blow up or walk away. Mm. And I literally had to make the decision, okay, do I miss this opportunity or do I take it? At 18, 19 years old, you know what? I better fucking take it. Yeah. Do you ever regret it? What? Do you ever regret the decision you made? No, no, not at all. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, I got to work with Simon Cowell. For, I mean, that alone is a valuable um, lesson. I got to tour the world. I got to perform in major arenas. Mm. I had my, 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 my face plastered on teen magazines. <laughs> I had screaming girls outside everywhere we went. Um, I'm sorry, I've so, apologised. <laughs> so I'm living my you got members um Montgomery, I'm living my dream. i I'm living everything I worked hard mm. you know, my whole you know, youth and teens. The struggle was over. I didn't need to get signed anymore. I'm signed to a major record company. And I'm on all these magazines and I'm making decent money for a guy who's off the street at 18, 19 years old. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and also they you know, I think people a lot, even a lot of clubs, they would always come up to me afterwards. Wow, we didn't know you could really sing. You, you actually are really not, are a real singer. Not expected of a boy band ever, is it? It's to not. Be able to. It's not. Um, so but to me, that's all what I've done. Yeah. Were there know, any other aspects of um, being in a boy band and that lifestyle and, and the job itself that, that you didn't enjoy? It's a, it's a very intense unit. You've got to remember, you're with five other guys. 23 hours of the day, either in a minibus or, in, or locked up in a hotel. Um, and everyone has an opinion. Everyone wants to be the star. And so therefore it causes conflictions. And when someone, when someone gets something that this one's upset, this one gets something that one's upset. I didn't care. I just wanted to see. That's all. Mm-hmm. I just was doing what I was trained to do my whole life was to perform and sing and I'm doing it to masses of people. That's all I cared about. I didn't care if Dan was on the cover or picked for a poster for Smash It. To me, that's only helping the record. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I got the nature and what's necessary to move forward in the business. And I still operate the same way. You do whatever it takes for it to get where it needs to get to. You know, sometimes you have to suck wind. You do. (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) It's for the beneficial of the project. Yeah. As long as I'm not being disrespected in that process or, you know, completely left out, mm. you know, rudely left out, then that's, you know, I knew that if Dan was on the cover of, of, a, of a magazine, we're going to get more sales. Yeah. At that time, um, you know, at that time, Caucasian men sold product, you know, and we were told. I remember when we had the first hit, right, with Heaven Must Have Missed an Angel, we did this huge $30,000 smash it for smash it, a photo shoot. Cost them $30,000 to put it on. And do you remember Mel, our press officer? Yeah, Mel Brown. Yeah, Yeah, Mel Brown. She was like, oh my God, they're spending $30,000 on you guys and they're going to put you on the cover. Right? We were delighted. I mean, it was my dream to be on the cover. I bought Smash It religiously prior before. Whenever Michael Jackson was in there, I bought the magazine. So, you know, it's like, I'm now going to be on the cover. And we did the shoot. It was a great shoot. I think a week later we were called on the phone that they're not going to run with the cover because there are three ethnic guys in the group. Wow. And they just had, I think Boys to Men just had a major hit around the world. Yeah. Right? With um, End of the Road, I think. And Smash It put them on the cover after that. 
it was the lowest selling issue of Smashes ever. It's astonishing, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it just yep. mad? We were told, we were told the only people that can sell a cover that's of, uh, who are ethnic was Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson, and Whitney Houston. Wow. And we, we, and we were devastated. Yeah. And, you know, because I didn't, I didn't know that that kind of, you know, that racism existed. Yeah. I didn't expect that. I'm obviously, and it did. And then we're being told, well, we can't put you on the cover because three of you are ethnic. It's going to be, it, we won't get sales. <laughs> and, I mean, and it's not, we and, and, it's, and I, you know, I, I work in journalism, so I understand the commercial aspect of whatever you do, yeah. like when we're choosing front pages for newspapers, but that must be quite hard to hear to, to, to know that. I they, mean, it's disappointing. You're yes, not, you're not going to make know money. Right. But you, okay. So pick Dan to go on the cover. Yeah. I'm, I'm business minded that way. All right, you won't put us on there. Do you know what? Put Dan on there. I'm still part of the group. Mm. At the end of the day, whose voice are they hearing? Mm. Yeah. Mine, right? Um, so I'm good. I mean, I don't believe in racism and, I, and I, you know, I believe in fairness, but okay, so you can't put us on the cover, but then pick one of the white guys, put yeah. him on there. At the end of the day, you guys who are the fans are going to buy the record. Who voice, whose voice are you hearing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a quite I'm good. That's a very mature attitude to have had, considering yeah. you were like 18, 19. Yeah, yeah but see, you remember, I've been in this business since I was 12, 10, 10, 12 years old. I was booking my own gigs at 12 years old mm. with adult musicians up and down the country. So I already studied contracts. You were working 10. the system. <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to understand the business. Mm. If this is the uh, nature of business I want to go to, then I got to learn every aspect of it. Yeah. Until, you know, and, and eventually I got signed. Um, where the other, other members didn't have that kind of training or understanding. Mm. Patrick was, was very, very diligent. He was very on it and very about, the other guys were a little bit more about partying and, um, <laughs> you know, and, and the fans, yeah. you know? Mm. And, and we had many opportunities to have, to have sexual encounters with fans. Fans and their mothers, Richard. Wow, I, I believe you, no, I, I, I've seen it. <laughs> I swear to you, I mean, unbelievable and and what i didn't realize as well that these fans yes they're outside for us but the next day they're outside the group the hotel for somebody else yeah. mm. we were not gonna lie yeah. we <laughs> and what also was was a very strange thing to understand is this whole kind of hierarchy culture that goes on with fan between the fans yeah apparently i was told quite you know later on that there was a lot of bullying going oh, yeah. between them it's, yeah. it's horrendous. I had no understanding. I had no. I had no concept of that. Yeah. I was yeah. not aware. I once was beaten up outside to take that hotel by a girl because I hadn't rung her and told her that take that were at the hotel in London, like literally, like well, I was she was slamming my head into a car. So I remember some girls were telling me later on saying that they they were told not to talk to us that day because if they spoke to us, they'd get beaten up. Yeah. Yes. Like, you know, it still happens now though. I mean, not to the same extent. I haven't seen any like physical bullying, but it's it's quite insidious the way these fans do. It operate. really is. I mean, the stories I've been told, I mean, I know, I mean, I used to, I used to stand outside the hotel for Michael Jackson. Mm. I mean, I, you know, I, so I understand that position. You know, here's your idol, mm. here's your, something that you really want to see and you're going to do everything you can to see them. You know, um, but I don't remember anything like bullying, any kind of bullying. I, I can never imagine someone turning up to me and saying, well, don't don't be here because we're going to be girls, here. man. It's yeah. how girls operate. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. Um, so, go, and, so going back to these mums and their daughters, 
obviously at the time yeah. although you weren't out you were you knew you were no. gay how yes. how did that like is it something that you'd discuss with other members of the fans or were you completely you know nobody knew, um, your family knew at that particular time so you're talking about around heaven right yeah. the first time you know i i mean i just literally kind of started like a year before heaven came out is when i started venturing into gay life mm. i'd met a couple of friends and they took me to parties and clubs um, and, but I didn't allow myself to get too consumed with that because I always knew there was a bigger picture down the road for me and I didn't want to be seen in that kind of environment or anyone to have that kind of animation to say, well, he was at a gay club. Yeah. So I was very conscious at that age to, to where I went and what I did. And what I, if I did go out, it was very under the radar. Nobody knew. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't really 100% convinced I knew who I was at that time. You know, I, I mean, and, and to at least admit to myself yeah. that's what I mean, I'm, what teenager does right? when you, you're exactly. conforming to what societal norms but are. The funny, thing is, though, the, funny, the funny thing is, around the heaven time, I'm, I had a full-fledged boyfriend, <laughs> which yeah. nobody knew about, you know? <laughs> uh, literally, so I would, you know, do my shows and come home to my, boy, my boyfriend, you yeah, know? I hope and, he was your bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> And he was so under the radar anyway, you know, no one really knew him, that he, his life was. So, and I kind of liked it that way because it kind of kept two separate worlds. Yeah. So it wasn't something that the record company knew about and said you have to No, nobody quiet. knew. No. I mean, I'm sure they suspected. Yeah. You know, but it was never discussed. But I was wise enough to know that it, that was something I shouldn't reveal because their Arista was spending millions of dollars at that time on, mm. the, on the group. And... You know, I, yeah, that would just jeopardize. Here we are being marketing to, especially in the 90s, the early 90s, you know, there wasn't very, especially the boy band, yeah. an out gay. No, there wasn't. There you know was none until I think the, there was none, the right. guy from Westlife, his name always escapes me. Mark. Mark. Well, I yeah. think, um, and also with the other group that was around with us, what's the other one? Um, Matthew. And that. Bad Boys Inc. Bad Boys Inc. Yeah. Bad, bad Boys. <laughs> now, they were openly gay. Two of them were. Mm. But not to the fans, though. So they they might have been living a gay lifestyle, but they weren't in magazines saying, no, we're like, gay. Really? Yeah. Are you sure about that? But yeah, okay. positive. Because we always knew, I mean, it was very, when they were around us and, and it was very open who they were, you know. Mm. Um, and I mean, I did hear stories. I remember being told that George Michael was gay. Yeah, at sure. that time. And I'm like, really? I'm like, really? <laughs> well, Bronski Beat was a big gay group. I love yeah, Bronsky. Yeah, they were a boy band. I wouldn't class them as a boy band. They, I think they, when they came to fruition, they'd slightly aged out of being a boy band. So you're kind of like yeah, early to mid twenties is probably the top end of like marketing yourself to the teenage girls, which is where we really kind of pinpoint the boy band at. Yeah. Wow. Right. So you get to you really know you yourself. <laughs> we created a no, whole science. No, <laughs> there really is a science to it. Yeah. To a whole. So there is, like I said about even the, the hierarchy system in between fans, there's all these dynamics that go on. Um, and even in the group, there's all these dynamics. I mean, half the time we were fighting in the minibus, literally. Mm. You know, someone's upset somebody and someone said the wrong thing and next thing there's a fight in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the tour bus. And then you've got to go out and smile. Right. It was, it was so extreme like that yeah yeah one minute someone's fighting next thing that we're on stage performing yeah you're getting yeah. out you're getting out of the car in front of a load of girls who think yeah. you're all best mates yeah. and you're having the greatest time in the yeah. world yeah right and it was so so a lot of the time you're putting on this front 
you know, just for the camera, literally. Mm. And the worst part about that is that sometimes you would have, we'd have to, um, a journalist in the van with us, <laughs> you know, following us around for the day. So therefore you have to stroke them, basically. You know what I'm saying? And because you knew okay. if you didn't, if you didn't <laughs> give them the attention that they wanted, yeah. they're going to write something really bad yeah. about you and they're going to not like you. Yeah. Right. Oh, and, and that can turn on such a thin... It, it, it can just, just like be that. one thing you said without realising and all of a just sudden, like worlds apart are like mm. the worst yeah, boy band you're, you're ever. You're alienated from this magazine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you're, so you're sitting there, you know, for 24 hours entertaining this journalist who really doesn't give a fuck about you. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, he's, you know, but you've got to literally lick his feet, basically. Yeah, yeah. So that was... That was very stifling. Mm. So imagine being in that situation, then you've got five members who all have opinions, yeah. and who have, you know, you know, or who think they're right, you know? Yeah. So you're stifled a lot. Mm. So um, you, you were the second member to leave the band. Was that- the third. Oh, you were the third, okay. Oh, so I thought yeah. it was, so who went before you? So Patrick went. Do you remember Dan, Dan left before oh, me. Oh, I didn't know Dan had gone before you. I thought you went before Dan, Dan. Dan before okay. Me. Do you have Patrick? Patrick left, he couldn't take it anymore. Mm. All I've told you just now, he couldn't take it. All of that stuff, yeah. Yeah, Patrick is, is a, Patrick's a very strong and, and comes from a, like a very, you know, a military kind of family. And he's very dedicated to his, to his art, mm. you know, and he still is today. He's very focused and he doesn't have time for bullshit, basically. Mm. I'm a little bit more, as Montgomery knows, a bit more kind of, um, play along, ride the wave kind of thing and, 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 and watch the political lines. Mm. Diplomatic, you know? you're diplomatic. Di- excellent yeah. word, Montgomery. Yeah. Well, because you have to, I, be, I believe you, you kind of have to be because then, you, you know, you're not going to upset anybody. You're in a safe zone. Nothing can fall back on you that, that you're, you know, unless you really put yourself out there. Until you're in a position where you can own your territory and you're making, and you're financially secure, I think then, then you have a right, you have a voice that you can shut it down if you have to. Yeah. You know, and unfortunately, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't feel like I'm in that position. Um, so, and I mean, I'm a, I'm a generally nice guy, but if you corner me, then I'll bite back. Yes. <laughs> so, what but was I'm the response the... like from the rest of the band and the record company when you were like, "This is it. I've had it." Well, this is what this is what happened. You know, um, Germany was taken off really big for us. Yeah. England, we fouled. The album didn't do well as expected in the, in the UK. And so therefore, and there was also a major shift going on at the label. Now they brought in these two guys that were serious kind of musicians to, be, to head the company. And they wanted an oasis. Mm. They wanted a blur. That was the movement. Mm. They wanted Simon out. Simon's a very smart guy. He knew he, they wanted him out. And I remember him calling me in by myself and he said, Aaron, this is what's happening. They want me out, right? I have to go. I'm secure, I'm going over to, across the street to RCA, but I can't take you with me. Mm. I want to take you with me. Because I really don't care about the other members, but I want to take you, but I can't because you're signed to Ariston. Mm. And so I'm, jump, I'm leaving, I don't know what's going, who's going to be your A&R, I don't know what, but this was what's happening. So when that, so here I am thinking, oh my God, England's not doing so well with for us anyway, chart-wise. Germany's taking off, we're spending more time in Germany. Simon's not involved in the project anymore. What do I do? There's all these other things going on in the group that, you know, this I've been putting up with for how many years? You know, what am I going to do? And it got to the point where I was very, I hated being in it. Mm. You know, it just wasn't, 
Patrick, already, Patrick was one of my buddies. He already jumped ship. Dan was my second buddy. He jumped ship. Mm. I was left with the other three, mm. which were, unfortunately, and I mean, I'm going to be honest as I can, they were problematic, the other three. They caused more problems than anybody else did, for whatever reason. I'm not saying all of us have our ways, you know, right. wrong, but I'm left with the ones that, the nightmares, basically. Yeah, you've not got a safe place. Well, you've not got a safe place. Like, it's, it, you've no, got no, a group of, no, no, I mean, in a group of friends, you've always got one person that's like, that's the person yeah, that I can be with. Yeah. My two, my two buddies who, who I gelled with and connected with had, and were no longer in this mm -hmm. group. And I am now having to sing live, record all the records, and I'm left with people that don't really do much. Yeah. Who really don't, I don't really respect. Yeah. Busy shagging the fans I, and their mums. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, by all means, do what you want to do, but this is a business. And this yeah, is a this is for business. me, this is and my I, job. Yeah, and I do, I, I love what I do, and I don't, really, I mean, I know I do other things, but this is what I do. Yeah. I trained for this. Yeah. yeah so, the, know, so my mentality is a little bit different. Yeah. So the morning after, so you, you leave, you tell. So I remember telling the group, they were livid, they were furious. <laughs> we had so many fights, let me tell you, because they were, they were, they were insecure now because they don't have a lead singer. Yeah. What do they do? And, you know, and, and, and I also remember at the time, I was promised to have my own solo deal with Arista, mm. um, with Gary Wilson. They, they were all set up to, okay, well, you don't want to be in it, so this was, this was the plan. When push came to shove, nothing was on the table for me. Wow. Yeah. That's I left the group literally with a couple of thousand dollars. I jumped, I, I was already coming to America anyway, so I wanted to kind of spend a lot of time here and I wanted to work with producers here. So I went into the label, said, okay, I'm leaving the group. This is what I want. And, they, and then these two guys are literally saying, oh, what can you really do? kind of mm. thing you know and you're a joke anyway because you've been part of this boy band what can you really do as a solo artist mm. that must be harsh said, well, to hear that like this awful. you you did something because they were like this is a good thing for you and uh, the, when you're it's, like it's this is no longer for me they're like well now you're a joke that that's but i you know i went to every label right after when i left and every label told me that wow you are a joke Seriously. That's harsh. So you went and then, you went uh, to the States. So that was your big move. You've left the band. You moved I, out to the US. This is now new Aaron. Away, <laughs> if I get as far away from the group as possible, nobody knows me in the States. Mm. I like being here. I'm I'm finding out who I really am when I'm here. You know, I feel comfortable, you know, and you know, my sexuality and all that kind of stuff. I was very open here. There was no backlash to really affect me. I'm away from my family. I'm living my life independently. Yeah. No one's going to see what And what, what so year are we now, Aaron? We're looking at, um, what, 96, okay. 97, at that, that time. Mm -hmm. Is um, that 1896, Aaron? 1896, right? <laughs> 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 well, now you're really ageing us. <laughs> <laughs> so rude. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm having a ball. I'm, I'm going to clubs. I'm meeting guys. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a ball. I'm happy, mm. you know. And, and there's no, I remember one time, one gay club I, go, I went to here, and guess who was there? In Eddie the Mercury. Say Nathan Moore. <laughs> no, Andy Peters. Oh, I love Andy. <laughs> Everyone loves Andy Peters. <laughs> Andy Peters and Montgomery was a, was a, was a big TV presenter um, in the UK for the BBC. So 
And I mean, we all knew he was out yeah. at the time. Um, but I didn't want him to know that I was. Right, okay. Because, you know, I know he's going to go back and tell England and, you know, it's my, my secret's exposed. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, so I remember dodging him in the club, literally dodging. <laughs> what a strange <laughs> situation as well. You're in the US, you think you've escaped the UK, and no, suddenly Andy, Andy Pe Peters turns up. And, 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 and he's got the biggest mouth on the scene. Oh, trust. really? <laughs> yeah. So I knew once he saw me, he's going to be, England's going to know, and all you guys are going to know. Um, so unfortunately, lucky luck enough, he didn't see me. Um, but then I, you know, I grew into myself and I knew mm. who I was and that's the point where I didn't care anymore. Yeah. You know? So, you so you've been in the US for 20 odd years now and your yep. mum's out there with you now as well, isn't she? Yep. So yeah, how do you know that? Well, we've, we've done our research. <laughs> you know, lots of things. Um, okay. would, do, would you identify now with being more American or do you still feel English? No, British? I'm British. Yeah. I'm British. Um, you know, I mean, I do I, I have lived more years of my life here mm. than I did in England now. Yeah. I mean, mm. way up, I've been here longer in my, in my lifespan. But I'm British. I mean, I, you know, I know who I am. Mm. You Do know. you play on that? So when we go over, you always go, you're in a restaurant and they're like, the um, the wait staff are always, oh, I love your accent. Yeah, they you, you kind of speak. <laughs> yeah. As soon as, it's the first thing people pick yeah. up. As soon as I open my mouth, it's the first thing. But when I talk to you guys or if I'm my family, they think I sound American. I, you can they hear, you can hear a twang, but you, you yeah, it's definitely but London, but you can hear a little really? bit. There's certain mm. words where I'm like, oh, you don't sound American, Aaron. You don't sound <laughs> you American. Say, Damn. But no, I can tell when I talk to my family and that, they're like, oh, you, you sound American now. Oh. Seriously. So I'm in, I'm in no man's land, yeah. so, you know, somewhere. <laughs> um, I mean, and there's, a, there's an advantage, you know, you kind of get a lot of attention mm. you know, instantly because now you're a novelty and you're the talk of the table, you know. There is that, um, you know, and you use it to your advantage and it's great when you're applying for jobs. And you look like <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> I do today. <laughs> no, but I remember, you know, going in, I mean, you kind of get every job you want. I mean, because the accent kind of helps, yeah. Yeah. you know. Well, it makes you memorable. Um, if you, if yeah, you're, there's, yeah. if there's 20 people, they're going to remember the one with the accent that's different. Oh, But the funny thing is, I remember, you know, I literally, when I came to the US and I started living here, you know, I had to go to a regular job, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have any music or things going on. And and it's when people found out what I did. Mm. That was weird. Yeah. I remember, you know, because I would never talk, talk about it, you know, and then someone would come in to work with a, with a poster, you know, <laughs> is this you? And what, so you what sort of jobs were you doing at that point? Um, it, was, it was still industry. It was, um, I worked as a booker for a model agency at the time. Mm -hmm. I worked for an yeah. advertising company. I worked for a, another production company. So I was still in the business, but I wasn't doing- You weren't a performer. Being, yeah, an artist. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't being an artist. And then I kind of got to the point where I thought, I didn't care anymore. You know, the artist was, was, um, was the past and I'm now older now. And I did, I think I reached the heights that I could ever get to. You know, I'd lived that life. Yeah. I've been part of it. There were great, great things about it. And there were not so great things about it. And this business is an old man's game. It's a young man's game. Mm. You know, I'm now, what, what's, at that time, 28, when you come into 30, who's signing artists at 30 years old? Mm. Not many people. I did, I, went, I did my rounds with my first, I recorded, basically what happened, Arista gave me a recording budget. They said, okay, you want to go to the US, you want to be a solo artist, go here, take that, come back with what you've got, we'll listen to it, and we'll see where you're at. So they gave me a bunch of money, 
to find the producers and to live out here. Um, I recorded a project, a solo album, which I went back to them with, and they hated it. They said, no, no. And the, the kind of material at that time was very, um, it was kind of like a borderline seal, kind of seal nice. kind of vibe. Mm. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I mean, I liked it at the time. Um, but in America, the labels were like, well, we don't really know who you are because we, we, we don't know where to position you, if you're black or if you're white. Yeah. And at that time, American labels were very much like that. If you were a black artist, you did black music. Mm. You know, more of an R&B project. My project had, you know, it was guitar driven and yeah. acoustic-y and, and, you know, little bit rock elements. And we've literally. seen that previously with American labels that try and shoehorn British artists into a different genre yeah. and it just doesn't well, it's work. Well, it's actually changed a lot now because mm. now the lines are a bit more blurred. Um, you know, to me, and what is considered R&B sound is to me is a pop record. Right. You know, these days, it's, a, it's got a lot, it's a bit more fused now. Yeah. And you notice that Montgomery, right? It's, it's a lot, the lines are a bit more crossed. Um, yeah, because right now in American music, it's um, everything is derivative of everything else. Yeah. So it's funny because my project that I did back then would fit perfect now. Mm. You know, and it's funny. And the, but the weird, Aaron, the Aaron, remember, you said something interesting. You sounded like Seal. We already had a Seal. You don't want to sound like somebody else. You want to sound. Right. You have. You want to have a, a quality of somebody, but you want to have your own unique sound. And I think that's mm -hmm. probably what you probably didn't realize at the time. You cannot emulate somebody who's already existed because they're already there. You can't be Michael Jackson. Right. You can't be Prince. You can't be Lenny Kravitz. Right. You have to be. You have to define your own legacy. Absolutely. And that's what America but does. But also at that particular time as well, I didn't know who I was as an artist. I, you know, and I thought, well, this is what I like to do. Seal was very much, it was like, it was, it was, had a lot of cross-genre kind of stuff. It was more in depth. And I thought, you know, and I kind of, let me try that. And I wanted to get away from the whole boy band thing, sound. And but I did even though, even the way I looked, you know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready to be a solo artist at that time. You know, mm. I didn't know, I didn't know who I was. I was, trying to, I was trying to be an artist that was already established, but finding my own thing and following a niche that I thought was, was the, the right. That's the hardest part of was. the industry is to really define your music and your sound. That's the hardest. Yeah. Then the image part comes into it because that's my part, image development. So you need to be almost like you have to get back to your roots on what really prompted you into getting to the music. You were forced into a path with a boy band. You had no choice. Yeah. Now you have all the choice in the world and you can pick and choose the influences now that you can go forward right. with. Right. But so anyway, I removed myself completely as from being an artist and I was more you know, behind the scenes. But there was still a part of me I felt that I died. You know, I mm. wanted to, you know, something was missing. Mm. And I was approached by a friend of mine who, who's, whose partner would happen to be a producer, who, you know, he wanted to do some stuff with me. And I was very on the fence because I wasn't prepared to go back into this business like that. And I remember being, you know, constantly asking me, like, when are we going to do a track? When are we going to do a track? And then finally I gave in and I, and I did a track. And I was actually surprised. I was actually surprised. There's something here that's quite, quite good. And, and end up doing another track with him. And at this time now you've got social media is driven, is driving a lot of, you know, independent artists. So I saw ways now that I don't have to go to a label now. I can literally kind of zigzag this myself until maybe, maybe someone picks it up. 
And so we're talking like about five years ago now, this is when I, I decided to get back into this business full time. And I, what I felt is I can concentrate on, I could market myself towards certain you know, communities like the LGBT community. That's small enough, but still big enough, enough for me to handle by myself. Yeah. So I put out records you know, and geared dance records towards that community. And very surprisingly, they end up being you know, hits. I had my first number one as a, a dance record out there and then another top 10 Congrats. straight after that. Great. Yeah, and, and there was, there was and, and the, the gay community embraced me. You know, I'm performing at Prides and all kinds of things. I'm getting public, you know, LGBT publications are now writing about me and they're writing about me as a good artist, mm -hmm. you know? So I thought, okay, so, and then got to the point, I got kind of a little big in that, in that world. Um, but I was kind of aware, but I'm going to do a product or put out product now. I'm going to make it mainstream that the mainstream will catch on as well and can be marketed towards them as well. And towards everybody. Mm. And I always kind of kept it in that safe zone, even though I, you know, was, I came in, a, in the US, I came out as a, as a gay artist. Mm. But that's, it was kind of planned that way. Well, let me conquer that first yeah. and then let the mainstream catch on. And the next thing I knew, the fashion industry had caught on. Obviously, you know, I'd, I'd found a look that, that excited everybody and I was comfortable, you know, doing. And the fashion industry embraced me, which I never expected mm -hmm. at all. That was not the, the plan. It was, I mean, I, even though I've always been fashionable and even when I was in the group, I was always the one, the, the fashion conscious one. Yeah, I was, But it, it wasn't my goal. To, I, I was going to ask if whether or not, because your style now is flamboyant's the wrong word because flamboyant just eeks of Liberace. <laughs> but you, you have a, a really defined style now. Was that yeah. something you felt you had to suppress when you were in the band? Because with, with a no, boy no, band, no, you have no, to have no, a what? unified look, don't you? Like, you, there's yeah. a theme. But you know what? If you had told me five years ago I'd be looking the way that I am now, I would never would have believed mm. you. Um, I would have gone, get out of here. You know, yeah. not that I'm ashamed of yeah. it. It's just, I would never imagine that's the kind of artist I would you mean, sparkles. You mean the man in the dress, yeah. the gown? <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know what, you know what? So when, when I got comfortable, number one, it separates me from the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Number one, right? So when I step out my house and I travel, the, the amount of, attention I get dressed that way or whatever from all walks of life and it's always celebrated it's always embraced to to my astonishment really I, I sometimes I think I, I get away with that but when I'm out and about the amount of love and respect I get and instantly people walk away remembering me yeah. instantly whether you like it or not and so therefore I thought you know what if there's something here that's appealing to people they seem to love it you know i mean the fashion industry loves it even the hip-hop community love it i have a record of dr dre mm -hmm. right that's coming out um i remember being approached you know by someone who works in you know works in in that lane hip-hop she 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 said she's been knocking on my door for years trying to get my attention i don't remember her i don't remember seeing it messages from her and she said she goes because i want to work with you i want to promote you the in the hip-hop industry will love you and i said get out of here they're going to like a guy in sparkles and eyeliner, really. She said, trust me, they will love you. All right, so I said, okay. And next thing I know, I'm being booked to do TV shows, and that's how I met Dr. Dre. And, I'm, and, and he, all his camp are loving it. Next thing, I'm making a record with Dr. Dre. 
And I never would expect to market myself to a hip hop community. But now I get a lot of respect from that community. And I think it's because I'm, I'm so different mm. that it gets defined into that kind of, um, you know, I'm not comparing myself to him, but you know, that kind of prince mm. kind of, you know, yeah. a drugness. It's almost like exciting for some people yeah. for some reason. And it's, it's not done in, a, in, a, in, a, in an offensive way. It's actually done in a, this kind of safe way, mm. but it's still uniquely different because no one's really doing it these days. Right. I mean, Montgomery's seen Montgomery's seen seen it done a million times yeah. before in his band and this industry, so it's nothing new to him. It's nothing new to me. Mm. When people say to me and stop me, say, "Oh, wow, I really like your style, or you're really unique." No, it's not unique. It's been done many times. Yeah. So, in, in terms of influences, both in fashion and musically, who would you say Prince has been a big influence on you, or who would you? No, I mean. The funny thing is, you know, as, as, a, as a kid, Michael Jackson was my guy. Right. I was never really a Prince fan. Mm. Um, you know, because, you know, they were obviously rivals, you know, kind of they yeah. were in the media. You had to pick a team. Michael Jackson was that? You had to pick a team. It's like you could only be take that or Worlds Apart. You exactly. could be both. <laughs> exactly. So Michael Jackson was my one. Prince, I didn't, I was a late Prince fan, because right? I was loyal to Michael. Mm. You know, that's, that's the way I was. And even now, I, I, and when, I'm, when I'm hearing a lot of Prince's material now, I kind of regret I didn't know it earlier, mm. you know, because it's amazing stuff, yeah. it's something I missed out on, but I'm catching up now. Um, do you know what? I, there's so many artists I take a little bit from. I mean, you know, and in my household, we listened to all kinds. My dad all, had all kinds of music. He had everything from Grace Jones to Patsy Cline, mm. you know, and everything else in between. Um, so I'm an I'm observer, and if I see something or a piece of art or something that inspires me, I'll take a little bit of that and then infuse my little spin on it. So there's a bunch of people across the spectrum. Yeah, but Aaron, I, I think I'm going to take credit for introducing you to David Bowie. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Because your vocal... Your vocal range to me has a Bowie quality. Yeah, you say that. Um, and, and another artist I don't really know intensely, you mm -hmm. know, so, and now, only now that I'm starting to kind of pick up on, on the genius of him. Not the same I didn't think he was before, I just didn't. You, you have to go down time that lane. to spend with it now. So, how did you yeah. it? How did your, I assume that's when you, your crossover into like working with the fashion world. Is that how you yeah, met? Yeah, we um, basically, so now, you know, the fashion industry, hip hop community now, so now the mainstream is catching on. So I'm meeting more mainstream people now, you know. Um, a mutual friend of ours, a very good friend, um, Luciana, who I met literally at a party that I did not want to go to. <laughs> it's always the way. <laughs> <laughs> I sat there with a sour face the whole you know, through it, and Luciana was there, and we got introduced, and she, she said, um, you know, she gave me her number. She, she goes, I'm, I'm a photographer and I would love to photograph you. I love your look. I love your style. And so then I think a few weeks later, I called her and, and we did this huge like marathon photo shoot at her loft. And during that, she said, have you ever heard of the image guru, Montgomery Fraser? And I said, yeah, I it sounds familiar. I said, is he like the MTV guy? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes, she goes, I want to introduce you to him. And I said, really? <laughs> um, and, and I said, yeah, the guy from MTV. I, I, that's why I knew the name from. But I couldn't really picture a face, if that makes sense. Um, well, I didn't really make MTV. I just merged fashion. Yeah, 
and music. Well, that's what you, you yeah, that's they were your there. legacy, though, right? So that's what, and I remember, I remember being, watching MTV as a kid and hearing the name, mm. you know? Your name was very prominent at the time, but I just couldn't put you your face. So next thing she says, because I really want you to meet the, um, the image guru. I think it would be a, a, a very good relationship. And, you know, you guys will, will hit it off and whatever happens after that happens. And she, she set up a dinner, um, literally at her loft, a beautiful dinner. And I remember one of the very few times, I'm never really scared, I'm never nervous, never. I pretty much walk into a room and kind of hold, hold my own. Meeting in Montgomery, <laughs> I was shitting bricks. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know, he was, you know, some people in this business can be very, you know, their personalities are not too particularly nice, mm. you know? Um, so I didn't know what to expect. And I just left a bunch, you know, finished relationships with a bunch of people I didn't really, you know, that turned out to not being so fruitful. Um, so I was very much on the fence about meeting new people anyway. Um, and I showed up and there he was with, with his partner. And you could take over from there, Montgomery. Um, I was introduced, actually, I met you at that club. First. Yes, right. Um, and um, immediately and you know, he you. reminded you looking at me. I remember looking over and you were, you were literally piercing into me that day. Well, you reminded me of, um, I used to work for MTV. I was a fashion director there for like many years. And I had a muse called Downtown Julie Brown. She was another, another Brit, another biracial, um, you know, personality from Great Britain who came to America and she became the toast of MTV. He reminded me of a male version of her. And so that was sort of like an immediate mm. bond because I, got, I, get the, I get the vibe I get the English humor, I get the style, I got the whole thing immediately like that. It was, it was like an instant connection there. And that's what, that's resonated with me because I meet so many people and nobody really makes mm. an impression, but he, he did. And then I was listening to his music and I was thinking, okay, yeah, you've got a good voice. You need to hone in. I didn't know anything about his past. I didn't know anything about his boy band past. Oh, you didn't know that? And then I, you know, finally... <laughs> oh, wow, I didn't I did not. Okay. No, I did not. I, um, I think she might have said you were part of a boy band. I I'm not a boy band person. Right. I turned down, as I said, New Kids on the Block. To, I, I didn't really want to work with boy bands, you know. Um, but you had something that was very unique and very... Um, I, I, it felt familiar for me. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. Then I was listening to your music and I said, you've got a really good voice. You have a really good voice. I need you. And I said to him, I need you to concentrate on your art now. You did, yeah. And I said, you know, stop with the bells and the whistles and going out all the time and be seen. You know, because it's very easy to get mm -hmm. caught up in that in New York uh, or London or Paris or wherever. You get caught up in the beau monde, you know, of the moment and everyone's like, oh my God, you're fabulous. That means shit. <laughs> you need to concentrate on your art and what was good about this last collaboration we did one last year called fashion it was literally a parody a spoof of the fashion world and of course i represented the fashion world and his uh impression of being on the cover of a magazine okay but then fast forward to today he literally was forced to stay home quarantined to work on this wonderful i'm really very proud of this what he just did so it was um, 
you know, because he really, he did it all. He did the, you know, he wrote the song, he produced the song, he sings the song, and then he wrote, did the video. That's, that's amazing. And to me, it's like an opus dance song and, and so anthemic for the times that we're living in, in especially in America, um, and his perspective as a British expat. Yeah. Montgomery, your stint as the fashion director at MTV was around the time of what we consider as the birth of boy bands. Have you got for us any gossip about the boy bands that you crossed paths with back in the day? Who, who was the biggest diva? Any, who, um, well, we didn't really, you know, the boy bands were, we were really more about the yeah. Madonnas and uh, boy bands were, you know, they were big. They were, they made money, but it wasn't really an MTV thing. We would play them. Like George Michael was a breakout artist. Mm. He was part of a boy band. Wham! was a big, huge British thing, but he didn't really make it big in America until he did um, his, his uh, solo yeah. artist album. So we're, we were more about the music and not so much about the boy band aspect. Yes, we had our boy bands. And I know that kind of negates your whole philosophy, but boy bands were monetary. They were forced. It was, a, you know, kind of like, and we're, now we're learning a lot of the, the pitfalls of being in a boy band. Yeah. I mean, we, we discussed that quite, quite a lot. That Well, I think, I think in any kind of unit group, there's always these dynamics. You know, you never, I've never ever heard a peaceful, wonderful journey in any kind of, especially in the music business, mm. between anybody. It is, uh, I mean, from girl groups to other groups, there's always this rivalry or, or problems or- well, well, let me tell uh, just a real quick story because I was, uh, I went to the Oscars one, one, one year and I got stuck at the end with a writer from uh, New York Magazine uh, and we were with the Backstreet Boys in a, in the limo going to after parties after the Oscars, blah, blah, blah. It was the Backstreet Boys. And I had just said, oh, my God, I love um, I love that in sync song. Wow. <laughs> you should have seen. <laughs> bye, 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 bye. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know that one? You'd think that I had just thrown acid <laughs> in their faces. It was such a rival that... Um, I think Kevin was the tall guy with yeah. the mustache. He was the one who he went off, and he was like that fucker, you know, those those son of a bitches. The the management they I screwed did. them. They got they all yeah. got screwed by yeah, the manager. That's the thing they had. They shared a manager, and part of the manager's marketing concept for them was to make them rivals. Yeah. So that it would be they'd be well, striving what, harder. We yeah, we were instructed to 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 rival take that. You know, and, and, and you were label that. mates as well, weren't you? Not exactly, you were under the same yeah, they umbrella. Were, they were across the street at RCA, yeah. and we were at Amistad. There was only a little corridor that separated the two. Yeah. The little bridge, I don't remember it. Um, and, you know, to take that, were, were, I mean, they, I think they just kind of started and had their first two hits, I think. And apparently Simon was dead against doing a boy band. Mm, well, he turned he, down he turned to take the, that, didn't he? Yeah, he turned them down. Mm. And, and he that's one thing, no, actually, there's two groups he wishes he, he did sign. Take That and Spice Girls. He took the Spice Girls down too. Yeah. And he, he, I remember him saying to me, there's the one regret I, re I regret not signing the Spice Girls. 
So we're working on an episode which examines whether or not Simon is as great a music, a, a judge of music and talent and skill as, as he's portrayed to be. But when you look like his very first, when he first started in the music business, he has this kind of legacy of acts, like either he had success but with novelty acts like Robson and Jerome um right Telly Tubbies like so his right, success right, right. was these they were one hit wonders that did great do you know well, what and it, then it comes down to sorry carry on it comes down to he knows pop music yeah mm. it's like Montgomery I mean you know I've known what, Montgomery what a year he knows his craft a year are you fucking crazy <laughs> Over a, year. a year yeah it's like it seems like for <laughs> I mean, a year and a half, I think it is. Um, a year and some change. You, you remind me of Simon, or the relationship, even the relationship I have um, with you. It, it reminds me of a, of, a, of, of the relationship I have with Simon. Um, you both know your lanes, but you know it enough that you it's, it's respected. You know, mm. um, Simon knows he was the joke of the industry. Mm. He's the first to tell you that because no one gave him the respect. But if you look at his track record, it's all marketing pop music. It comes down to marketing a genre that is called pop music. He's not trying to be Beethoven. He's not trying to be, um, you know, Chris, Chris Black, whatever. He's zoning in, how can I market this thing to masses of people and make it successful? Yeah. To masses. My objective, my objective when I was working at MTV wasn't about the fashion aspect. It was about making the musicians more fashionable in the times that were appropriate yeah. for their group. So I wasn't a fashionista mm. per se, but I would marry the two. And that was, uh, it was called image right. development. And that's my, that's my moniker. But it was more important for me to apply the right image to the right artist than to put a, uh, a Dior suit okay. on someone. Mm. Okay. So right, but like I said, it's the same with Simon. He was not trying to be the Beatles or Mark, you know, he's taken something that's a novelty, a, a kind of a joke, and marketing and spinning it with, with, with a city pop song underneath it and a beat to masses of people. And each and every one, each and one of these hits that people was brought into were, were top ten hits, yeah. most yeah. of them. But because of the the nature of the of the genre, it's not respected. Yeah, you know, it's the same. But so, so boy bands have never really been respected. The no. the, the record companies realised. I would say around the time of the Bay City Rollers, maybe as early as the Beatles, that actually teenage girls are buying music and they're a, a, a pot of money to be tapped into. So they they right. develop these acts for that, these young guys. Well, it's the same thing with me like when I left money. the group. When I left the group, I was told it was a joke. Every mm. label sat there and told me in front of my face, you are a joke. Yeah, but the joke was on, uh, unfortunately, the joke after being after a band, a boy band, is that it's, you're good as, as long as you play the game in the boy band. Once you're out, you're out, and it's like they, they throw you out. They, they, you're fend yeah. for yourself. They, they, they do have a set plan for you. Like they, they, it's why they get these young guys. They don't say to them, take this to your own lawyer. They say, here's your contract, sign it. You were smart. But they don't yeah, want you to do that. You're, you, you know, you're not reading into the small print that it's actually, yeah, you're driving around in a limo, and that's great, right. and you look swish, but at the end of the day, you're paying for that limo yeah. out of any tiny profit that you're making after you've paid for recording yeah. and video. And 
and yes, you're paying for every aspect every of what they're thing. affording we, you. We would get, we would have celebration, celebration dinners every time we had a hit or something great happened. Oh, you guys, we're taking you to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and we go to Knightsbridge. I mean, one of the most exclusive areas in London. And we'd have this fabulous night of dinner and drinks. And everyone's free for all, mm. literally. And next thing you know, when it comes to our royalty checks, we're getting an itemized listing. of Recoupable. You didn't get this yeah. amount. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're not getting this amount because you've, you spent $3,000 on a dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like 10 of them. In so a row, so you know in, instead of them taking you out, technically you're taking all of them out to dinner. Yeah, yep. we see it a yep, lot. Yep. When I left the group, and I'm being honest here, right, I, I did one last tour with them, which I said I would commit to. Once after that, I'm out, I said. And I literally spent four months in Germany, you know, on the road, performing night after night, singing live every night with, with three other guys who I didn't particularly was getting along with because they knew I was on my way out. So they they were made they made it hell, literally, and I, I said I committed to, I'll commit to this tour, and I knew I was going to get x amount of money at the end of it. And but one of my conditions I said I'll do the tour on, it providing I can bring in a companion with me because I don't particularly want to be on my own with these particular mm -hmm. people. I need to have my own my own buddy that I can hang out with during in the off time. And anyway, so um, end of the tour came. I went to click my check from Gary, and. I saw it and it was a quarter of the amount that was supposed to be expected. And I'm literally going to America two weeks yeah. later to, to, to move and live. And I'm looking at a check that was just pennies, literally. And I just busted my ass on tour. Yeah, yeah. Germany. In yep. this environment I didn't want to be in. And there was itemized. You did this, 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 this. It's all about it the money. It's all about how much expenses. If you're a smart person in a boy band, you don't go out. You, you don't. don't and you don't, Patrick, you don't go to any of the Patrick. dinners. Patrick was that person. Are you still in touch with Patrick about... now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Love Patrick. He's one of, you know, one of my dearest friends. That's nice. Yeah. And, you know, he was the one. So when yeah, we did the world apart research, that the one where I read the story, the one that he lives in Texas now, isn't he? He's got three boys. Yeah. That just, I, mm -hmm. when I see someone has moved on from their boy and bad life and they've got a family and they're settled and they're doing like it, it just it really bought like boys me up. Raising his kids mm. and as a devoted father, yeah. as you see, um, but he's still the same person to this day. Yeah. Exactly the same the day I met him. Can I ask you yes. ladies something? As you're such uh, historians on boy bands, uh, experts, what would you decide, what would you consider the difference between a boy band like the Beatles and a boy band like NSYNC? Um, so the Beatles were organic. So they, they put themselves together. They came up, you know, they, they were a band that formed themselves, whereas NSYNC were manufactured. They held auditions, someone went out to set them. But the, the, the very root of the Beatles is that you know it's Beatlemania it's the hysteria it's the teenage girls that are putting them and buying their records and making them successful and that they're eventually you know when they they did that first tour of Germany and then they come back to the UK and their record company starts marketing them they're marketing them at that teenage audience which is what for our the, the purposes of what we do that's what we consider to be a boy band are you utilizing are you aiming these people at the teenage girls Piggy bank, if the answer's yes, then then you're one step into being a boy band. I saw also, also, I think the um, another distinguishing factor is a lot of the, for instance, the Beatles, they're all musicians. 
Yeah. They're not just like dancers and singers. They all play an instrument. And I think that is another yeah. distinguishing factor. Yeah, but we're, we we embrace both. We, but like the boy, there's the boy bands now that play instruments. So like the Jonas Brothers play instruments. Um, I don't know if you know them over there, McFly and Busted, they play instruments. But we classify okay. them as a boy band because it's the you know it's the teenage so it's girls and pockets as well uh, for instance so, instruments. Yeah. so it's it's you know different different ends of the boy band spectrum so the one thing people are... fail to realize is that in the in boy bands there are actually some very talented people yeah. in yeah you know it's just that you're marketed towards you know a certain demographic of of, of, the, of the community or whatever but like you know and i mean even in with me for instance i mean i, I went to performing arts school i trained mm. i did ballet dance and acting and all the things and to zone in on my craft to train to get to where i want to get to so there are and, and something like patrick in, in Park, another very talented guy mm. you know he did he did as, as um he was a, a martial arts expert you know yeah. zoned in and trained mm. in yeah. that name you know and but when you when you're given that title boy band People don't realise there are some dim some things in there that are actually worthy and really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And we we have so much criteria that that we pull into being a boy band. It's not just you know, uh, right. uh, uh, do they dance? Do to... they look good? It's there's you know we have you know did they write their own songs? Did they play their instruments? Which is contributes to, right. to kind of how successful well, like just, you are. You said that earlier. More, I got to write my first, yeah. second. So record. the more successful mm -hmm. boy you know, bands generally turn right. out to be the ones that do write their own stuff. You've got to take that. Gary yeah. Barlow always wrote their own material. The Beatles wrote well, their own I material. One thing I used to hear all the time, right, is especially in the clubs, in the 90s, you had to sing live. Mm. That was the, 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 that was the rule. And it was probably the reason Nobody why I was told to be Millie Vanilli that, but sure. Right. Oh yeah, I but was I, backstage I with them when their emulator messed up. We were, we were on the Club MTV <laughs> tour. It was epic. And he was so stupid. Oh my God. Unfortunately, he was so stupid, he didn't even know what the fucking emulator was. Oh my God. <laughs> Brilliant. Wow. Wow. But you just but have to look at bands like, um, more modern boy bands like One Direction, who are all having incredible solo careers post boy band, to know that there is some talent in there and they're out there writing right. their stuff and doing their thing. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, but, some, like, but when, you, when you're labeled as a boy band, you, you, you get, you're instantly dismissed. Mm. Mm. Well, I think there you was know, a stigma to being part of a boy band. Yeah. The stigmas associated and societally, the stigmas associated with the fact that your fans are teenage girls and people don't think that young women are allowed an opinion and therefore their opinion isn't relevant to the things that they like. That's where it comes from. Just to start to wrap things up, because I feel like we could talk all day. I know. Right? I'm kind of like, we've been going an hour and a half, and I'm like, well, I'm not ready I to end. A <laughs> new single, uh, Dance America, Rise Up. When, yep. when is it out? Um, right now, the video came out, what, um, Monday? Mm -hmm. um, so we're looking at, for the general mainstream release, probably um, like the, the first week of August. Mm, okay. We're, right now, we're gathering, we're gathering up a couple of remixes and stuff to go along with it, That's as well as the main mix yeah. that you're hearing. But the video is out right now. Excellent. We'll be sharing that but on the, all our platforms. Yeah, the, yeah. First, the first week of August, because there's a bunch of um, media that's going to be coming out at that time. So we have to kind of go along mm. with, yeah. with what's media's sure. coming. I mean, I'm going to, there's a cover, I'm on, on a magazine here. And some Excellent. Other stuff going Amazing. On. Okay. But, and where can yeah. everyone find you on social media? 
Let um, me find me and Montgomery. We were both on Instagram. I'm at Aaron Paul Music. And do you want to tell yours, Montgomery? I'm uh, the image guru, Montgomery Frazier. And um, one last question Brilliant. we have, which we ask everyone that we have yeah. on the podcast, and it actually. Um, it's your contribution to the science of boy bandology, and you have to go with the first answer that comes into your head. And oh, it is, <laughs> which is the greatest boy band ever? You're not allowed to say your own, Aaron. Uh, even though O-Town said themselves. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with, uh, there was two I would, that came to mind. Mm -hmm. I, I got to pick one out of the two, or can I give the two? You can do the two. I'm gonna go with the Beatles yeah. and Wham. Okay. Great choices. Yeah. Montgomery? <laughs> Me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I would have to say probably the Beatles as far as the uh, all-male band that has transcended and probably the Rolling Stones. Yeah, okay. the Rolling Stones, yeah. I mean, they're, they're all we boys. We don't class the Rolling Stones. We don't class them as a boy band. They're more of a rock band. They're a bit well, dirty. No, yeah, but, but they're all men. <laughs> I don't know. That's, that's here in life. Yeah, yeah. But they were very sexy when they were younger. Oh, yes. yes. I've the, seen... In the I've 1700s, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mick Jagger in those tight white pants when they were playing the high festival. Right? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, and on that note, thank you so much, guys. This has thank been so much so fun. Much. I really could have... I know. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you, Zoe. So good to see you after all these years. Really could have gone on for hours. We... Um, <laughs> We're going to let you know when we're next in New York. It'll probably be about Please 10 no, years. You're welcome to come anytime. Oh, bless you. We're, we're, we're not allowed in, allowed in, moment, in no. We're not allowed in at the minute. <laughs> um, and sorry, Montgomery, you did, you did tell them about Soho oh, Muse. Sorry, tell, 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 tell. Oh, well, Soho Muse is um, it's a platform for creatives, global creatives. That's how we all, you know, converge. We, we ideate, we pro, uh, produce projects. Um, it's a platform like LinkedIn for creatives. Amazing. And it's... We're, we're doing podcasts, live podcasts. We're doing remote concert series with our entertainment uh, oh, wow. entertainer. So it's, it was a way that we could give back so that people could make money while they were not making mm. money. Amazing. Sohomuse.com. You have to join. Sohomuse.com. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so Thank much, you. guys. It's been such interesting. Oh, thank you. Guys. Pleasure. Chat to you all yeah. day. So we really, really appreciate it. And oh, it's really pleasure you. having you. Stay safe. You're lovely. You're oh, lovely. Sorry. You're lovely. <laughs> Thanks, Montgomery. Thanks, no, Aaron. Really guys. Bye. Bye. Take care. So, that was so much fun. It was such good fun. Uh, we so, could have gone on for a two, two, three more hours, I think. Well, days. Um, yeah. I reckon we could have talked for days. So much chat there to have. Um, it and, was really good. and um, So I, lovely. I'm so pleased that Montgomery joined us as well because his, oh, his little nuggets were just brilliant. amazing <laughs> i think my favorite parts were the andy peters moment and also the backstreet boys and oh, my no can i call mine was millie vanilli <laughs> yeah. so, so we're definitely gonna look aaron up next time we're in new york um, and yes. we're gonna share both of their social media information it'll be in the episode notes of the podcast so wherever yes. you're listening go in we're gonna have um their instagram uh, links on there so you can go and find them we'll put in a link to um the, the video so um yeah it was amazing and don't forget that you can follow us on instagram as well we're uh, on insta at i'm with the boy band we're on twitter at the boy band pod you can drop us an email to the boy band pod at gmail.com 
or you can come find us on Facebook. If you're looking for the group that you have to ask the questions to join, we'll let you in. No questions asked, which is <laughs> yeah. completely against what I just it's said, but we will. I'm, it's because I'm nosy. That's why I have questions. <laughs> no one to know all about you. And if you want to support us on Patreon, please come find us there. We are at patreon.com forward slash boyband. Uh, thanks so much for listening. It will be yeah, another month you. before the next one. Swear to it God. will. Uh, it will. Yeah. And again, thanks to Aaron and thanks to Montgomery. Thank you so much, guys. It was so much fun. We'll see you in New York soon. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Bye. Boy band Bye. you later. Bye. <laughs>